2: Hello, my fellow Westorians. Welcome back to our third week of House of the Dragon. In advance of the third episode, we have another preview episode for you today. As usual, our Saturday streams are spoilery. We discuss what's in the media, what we've thought about. We parlay that with fire and blood, book canon. We don't include leaks. We uh, We don't go with that. We don't roll that way. But we will use our noggins to figure out whatever we can in addition to what's been put out there uh joining us today we'd love to have excellent guests and we certainly have an excellent guest today to help us break all this down it's poor quentin from not welcome my friend
3: hi everyone thanks so much for having me
2: yeah yeah we're gonna have a good time and of course Shea here on my left as usual on camera this time. She's always on my uh, left, but not always on camera.
1: <laughs> yes, and I have a um unique hairstyle today because I am rushing to Dragon Con after this for a cosplay for Fire Emblem, so I have a these funny space buns. Yeah, it <laughs> looks great.
2: <laughs> and yeah, so let's get to it. We are going to talk um uh, quite a bit about what we've got on oh. tap here.
1: Oh
0: shit. Uh, yeah, no.
2: Our schedule, as usual, is Saturdays at three and Mondays at six. Mondays are our spoiler-free episodes with Sean. You can watch uh, this live streams on YouTube. You can watch the replays on YouTube or Spotify, and the podcast versions are available anywhere you get podcasts, like Spotify or Amazon Music, or you can you know watch watch or listen to whatever podcast platform you prefer. You should be able to find it anywhere. We had a six month time jump last time this time it's about three years so episode three three years that lines up nicely and here's where we remind you all that this show is roughly going to cover 28 years in season one then it's going to stop the time jumps altogether or so we hear for the rest of the dance and move maybe more like a month-to-month pace or week-to-week something like that and that in itself is different right uh emmett we've got this is kind of a We haven't seen things like that. There's things that happen maybe in Game of Thrones that maybe should have taken that long, (laughs) maybe they needed to jump a year. And of course, there's the infamous five year gap in the books that didn't actually happen. So this is our first we've flirted with the idea before. This is our first time actually having like really big time jumps and all that. So what do you what? How does that make you feel as far as a viewer or is taking this in? This is a little bit of a different experience, huh?
3: The five-year gap is exactly what I was thinking. The irony of of uh, George working so hard to make that happen, and then having to accept his characters as younger versions than he wanted, and now though we can just we can just we can just jump right ahead, and uh, yeah, especially comparing it also to Game of Thrones, how they I think sensibly aged up the younger characters, and part of that was just so it would be I think more believable for a modern audience that Rob was was king and everyone was cheering for him. Might be less so if he was fourteen, <laughs> yeah. But also so. <laughs> Also, so you didn't have to change actors midstream, which I imagine was a concern when they were first conceiving the show and starting to cast it. But here, I think, I mean, the time jump from one to two, I thought was pretty smooth. Like, I didn't really think about it at first. And only when the dialogue started, did I go, OK, clearly Damon's been uh, <laughs> insecure. Enough. Damon's been sulking for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how you know it's been a bit. And yeah, I was i was uh, taken aback, but in a good way when I realized when I, you know, the pics of Uh, Baby Egg On started leaking and I started realizing how big the time jump into this one was going to be. That's ambitious, but it's a good move, especially so you can get a lot of the plot business, a lot of the world building done before you switch to the actors that you're going to be with for the long haul. So, so far so good. But yeah, it's ambitious. It could easily go wrong. Yeah,
2: you're right. And I wonder if there's going to be something like that for future projects. Maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves, but we know there's other successor shows using George's preferred term. And maybe this determines whether they'll want to do time jumps in any of those other successor shows. And this might be kind of an experiment uh, or or a model or something like that, a first test. So we got a couple super chats here before we get into the first section. Maura Lee says, congratulations on you and Ashea's interview with Ryan Condal. That was fabulous. I enjoyed watching that along with History of Westeros' interview with the man himself. Of course, she's referring to George R. R. Martin. Love, love both of you all and the fabulous content. Thank you very much, Mara. We love you too. And we, uh, yeah, we were really happy with how both of the interviews came out. Ryan Condal and George R. R. Martin. Ashea put a lot of work into the subtitling, and that was uh, really important. That did a lot of work in getting people uh, focused and uh, getting it more attention. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, I mean, I loved talking to Ryan Condal. Like, I had a good feeling going into the interview, and then he just said all the right things, like just things to get me just feeling really confident about his passion, his knowledge, his the level of care he's put into it. So if you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend it, because you'll probably feel even better about House of the Dragon.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: definitely. That gave us that feeling for sure. And That's I because
1: think. he's the he's the sole showrunner now. Yeah,
2: it's true. We the, Our interview was technically a few days before... Miguel Sapochnik left, which if y'all hadn't heard that, he has. And it doesn't seem like some dramatic thing. He seems like he's put a lot of work into this and he's ready to step back. And they brought in Alan Taylor, who's already he won an Emmy for The Sopranos and has done several Game of Thrones episodes before. So he's also a veteran of this. So I think it'll be fine. And, uh, but he's not a showrunner. So that it's yeah. just Ryan Condell now. So that's that's interesting. But. He seems like he can handle it, but uh, we would have asked him about that if we, got, <laughs> if we had known, but he probably already knew at that point. It's kind of interesting to think he may have just, day hadn't made it public yet, but that's none of our business. <laughs> <laughs> also, super chat from Morgan Mayhem says, not related. Did you eat chili while in Santa Fe? I ate chili almost every meal, including <laughs> breakfast. The green chili is like ketchup there in terms of how, how prominent it is. It's like every table. It's just. Green chili. I think I had green chili soup half of my meals <laughs> while I was there, and you had a little bit too, didn't you? Yeah, I sure did. It was yeah, that delicious. Stuff is, that stuff is so good. It's mm-hmm. like it's like addictive. I think they say. You know, yeah. I, I can it's see how why. spicy food is in general. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about the war and the stepstones. That's going to be a really big part of this episode. We pres- we expect some action, some dragons, some battles, some swords, and some arrows, and all that good stuff. Let's start off with a quote from Fire and Blood. is going to read us a decently long one to set us up here. This is very cool and reminds us of where Book Cannon was on this issue.
1: The conquest and annexation of the Stepstones by the Kingdom of the Three Daughters at first met with only approval from the Lords of Westeros. Order had replaced chaos, and if the Three Daughters demanded a toll of any ship passing through their waters, that seemed a small price to pay to be rid of the pirates. The avarice of Kragas Crabfeeder and his partners in conquest soon turned feelings against them, however. The toll was raised again, and yet again, soon becoming so ruinous that merchants who had once paid gladly now sought to slip past the galleys of the Triarchy, as once they had the pirates. Drahar and his Lysine and Tairashi co-admirals seemed to be vying with each other to see who was the greediest, men complained. The Lyceni became especially loathed for they claimed more than coin from passing ships, taking off women, girls and comely young boys to serve in their pleasure gardens and pillow houses.
2: I definitely wonder if they're going to show that aspect of the, of Kraghass and his men. I wonder if they're going to go that deep into their privations. Uh, it seems like they might. I mean, that's something they introduced almost right away in the show. One of the very first things in the first episode was Corley's complaining about this to kind of set it up and, yeah, um, that would make him more aggressive and just add a little bit of well, maybe maybe the our people are more on the good side here if they're stopping slavery. Even if Damon and Corlys aren't the, the best humans overall, in this they seem to be on the better side. Maybe uh, a c- few paragraphs later from that quote, Ashea read is a, a one-liner here: Shunning the king's wedding, they laid their plans in high tide on the Isle Driftmark. So this is Corliss and Damon preparing. And it's important. They shun the king's wedding. And I kind of guess the showrunners are shunning this wedding, too. I think they're just going to skip over it. Right. It seems like we're not. I mean, if we're going three years in advance, it's not like they're going to start off with a wedding and then jump three years. That doesn't seem likely. So we're just going to go right past that. And that's fine. Uh, One significant difference is the timeline. Now, a lot of things in Fire and Blood versus the show aren't dramatically changed but they're moved around it seems one thing they're doing is just changing the order of a few things and for the most part that's fine I mean it doesn't really change things much so uh, this is an example of that the war in the Stepstones is roughly from 106 to 108 now it does flare up again later uh, many times really <laughs> step stone, that's the Stepstones for you but this uh, is actually resolved before uh, a lot of the other stuff with Damon happens in like with Dragonstone so, a significant change as well. What that does is that spawns other changes like Lenor being older, and he's going to be part of this, which is interesting because in canon, book canon, it's only Caraxes in the Stepstones as far as the, dra- the only dragon involved in the war. But this time, hat tip to our buddy Joe Magician, who was on last week is it time for the Sea Smoke show? <laughs> yes, the answer is. Uh, Sanrixian was the first two. Uh, delve into that and look at the, the dragons there and, and show that this is not uh, Cyrax that we're looking at. So two dragons at once. So that's pretty interesting. Well, are we excited to see uh, Lenor and Seasmoke? And it looks like we'll get Joffrey Lawnmouth as well. He's going to be standing alongside. We have a picture of them, don't we? At Like a war council?
1: Yeah, we sure do. There I'll we go. See.
2: There's Damon with a letter. I actually wonder about this letter because they're, in the trailer it says they, they, they express that they're losing. And in canon, we know that Viserys was supporting Damon because he was happy to have Damon out of the way. So he was sending him gold. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not sure that's the case here, though, because he didn't, he was pretty expressly against war in the Stepstones. So here's a question, Emmett. What do you think? Is this going to be a point of contention that they went to war in the Stepstones without necessarily getting permission? I don't know if they got permission in this case, whereas in the book, they didn't, there wasn't a problem.
3: Yeah, Damon seems like a better-to-seek-forgiveness-than-permission kind of guy, <laughs> if, if that even. But I do, yeah, from the trailer, we get the sense that the war goes initially poorly for them. And that could be the case, again, where the the dragons supply the trump card, just like they did on Dragonstone in Episode 2, and act like, act like a game-changer to kind of pull out Targaryen victory and, and make it possible. And this is, you know, the, the plotting is definitely uh, complex in this. It's not uh, It's not the most simple and straightforward thing to convey to an audience, I think, if they're not familiar with the source material. But I love the the kind of conflict that comes from that, that thin line of legitimacy between pirates and agents of the state, which is, you know, a very real history thing, especially if you look at uh, the British Empire and the kind of the people they hired to act as their tip mm-hmm. of the spear. And we see it in A Song of Ice and Fire. I love the bit where... Uh, davos comes back to dragonstone after the battle of blackwater and reunites with salador and salador says yeah i'm the admiral of blackwater bay now <laughs> and my job is basically exactly what it was before yeah. <laughs> which is that i run up on boats and take all their stuff but now i'm doing it officially so that, <laughs> makes, that makes all the difference yeah, and that's kind of yeah. what what damon and corliss are dealing with here is that they were i think as agents of the state themselves maybe they had this instinctive bias to think at first like oh the triarchy might be better off for us than the pirates like we're, we're we're the pirates are the enemy we know we're used to the the damage they do to our, our shipping and now gradually starting with Corlys they're realizing oh actually <laughs> dealing with the triarchy might be even worse <laughs> because they're more powerful and organized and maybe we were better off with the crooks and now now it's escalating. Yeah, piracy versus state-sponsored piracy. That is... <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> a lot
2: worse. Yeah, so, that, so that's pretty interesting. I think this is going to be... I have a good feeling about what they're doing with some of this. Of course, with battle, there's a lot of times there's not as much to say about it. It's just awesome. You mm-hmm. watch it, you have fun with it, and <laughs> you uh, watch it again and have more fun with it. But I think they're going to be using it maybe to grow up some of these characters, to establish them, and show that they have a little more going on. Uh, example being that picture that showed them in the war council, we have characters like Joffrey Lonmouth, who is Lanor's lover, and that or maybe becomes Laynor's lover during all this. That's unclear when that's going to develop. It may be that it develops during this, or it may be that they're already together. You can see uh Joffrey Lonmouth there, the
1: kind of redheaded guy. Yeah.
2: A pretty handsome dude there, a younger looking and uh it, that should be I suspect given he's already high up in this war council, then he, they're probably giving him some sort of clout, some sort of ability, or he probably wouldn't be standing in this group, making you know, helping with the decision making and all that. But another hat tip to Joe Magician. He points out that the, it's, they always seem to have these chess sets of, of pieces wherever mm-hmm. they go, and no matter who what characters it mm-hmm. are, they are, and I, we all approve. Of course, this is <laughs> we all want these ourselves. I think <laughs> I, w- I would love a copy of all these little pieces. So. One of the quotes they have in the show uh, from the trailer is that the uh Craig Has Crab and his men are outmaneuvering them using per- probably their experience with the train. They've been stationed in the Stepstones for a while, especially in Bloodstone, which is the largest island. And they're doing things like night attacks. We have scenes at night, which I think is probably a strategy to avoid dragons. It's probably a lot harder to attack soldiers with a dragon when it's nighttime. They just, there's nothing to see. There's, you can't use their scouting ability to get a view of the battlefield. So I think that's probably a strategy we'll see. Um, do you have any uh, any thoughts on what we might see battle-wise or just any takes in general on, on the, the action that we might see? I think we're all probably more interested in predicting the character stuff, but... We also want to, you know, think about what we might see here.
3: Yeah, guerrilla attacks at night seem a likely move to frustrate the, the obvious uh, game changer of the dragons. Because, yeah, I mean, you can't, it's so easy to fire on your own men at night with a dragon, which is, you know, that's always the double-edged sword of using those in combat. True. So I could see that losing in, in bits and pieces. The crab kind of nibbling off the edges of their coalition, could be what, what frustrates Corliss and drives, drives Damon to, to bring the hammer down. And not just Damon, as you say, but yeah, to bring, the, to bring multiple dragons down. I think, think that makes sense. And that heightens the suspense, too, if you like they had the Battle of Cross and Game of Thrones, just the, the night attack always ratchets it up for the audience for sure.
2: Now, one thing we try to make a connection here, there's two main things going on, really. It's interesting how this is almost narrowed down, really effectively. I expect it to sprawl a bit more later, but we really seem to have just two locations this episode. Of course, in the first episode, we really just had one location, but hey, that's that's a nice tight story for you. It's a little different than the, the big sprawl of of the original show. So with that in mind, I want to try to connect as much as we can what's going on in the Stepstones to what's going on with the other plot lines, in particular Rainier, because we know Rainier is eventually going to marry Laenor, and we know that's going to happen before they switch the the actors out uh, because of the scenes in the trailers of Laenor and Rainier getting married. That seems pretty straightforward, but... I wonder if part of their thinking here is to have Lainor be more established. I mean, Raynor is, ar- Rainier is already made her point about swordsmen who actually have battle experience. She made that point choosing Kristen Cole for the King's Guard and threw that kind of threw that in Damon's face uh, indirectly about uh, him not having any real experience, which he's getting now. <laughs> so having Lainor get experience in the Stepstones, maybe even being this is a pure guess if anyone gets traumatized or maybe they're setting it up for battle in the gullet having some sort of connection between preparing for that and not wanting to do that whole thing again i don't know a lot of a lot of interesting character possibilities here uh so do you think there's any do you see any way for this to come full circle i know it's gonna that's how these factions will temporarily unite again before Eventually splitting up again is this marriage of Lanor to Rainier, so i 'm wondering if you perceive anything that maybe shows how that's all going to happen or if it's just something maybe they'll they 'll surprise us with. Any thoughts there
3: yeah, I think this is definitely a proving ground for Lanor, both kind of in the universe to show off to other characters and as a proof of concept for the audience because we need to it's tough because he's a secondary character and he gets swept off the board pretty quickly, yeah but we need to we need to get investment in the Valerian side, which is the one thing. One of the things I was hesitant about coming into the show was like, how are those are those are secondary characters who are not central to the action, but they're really critical for making all the world building make sense. And so you have to integrate them. And I think, yeah, I think giving uh, Lena a chance to prove himself on the battlefield and uh, impress not only Corliss but also Damon is a good way to cement that in the audience's mind, and that makes the, the match with Ranira all the more plausible.
2: That's true, and maybe this will help Damon's initiate Damon's connection to Lena that we know is coming. Uh they haven't really teased that. They've avoided teasing that. No, not yet. Which they didn't they, yeah, they, they didn't, didn't avoid really. teasing Rhaenyra and Damon's marriage, like that's in the original trailer. But this mm-hmm. is this has been kept on the DL, so I, I that's interesting. I wonder how they're gonna roll with that. Uh it might mm-hmm. be a little longer term than some of these other things. You have any thoughts on that Ashea?
1: Um no not really? Not really? Okay cool. Really, yeah it's it's
2: it's kind of a mystery at this point, huh? No yeah. One other character that's a that's a change from the books. Now he exists. I'm referring to Sir Vaymond, who is pictured in uh, holding a shield and a sword that that uh, distinguishes him a bit from his brother, Sir Cor- uh, Lord Corlys, which is a difference from the books where Corlys is his cousin. This I think does at least two things. One is it's probably going to make his betrayal more meaningful. He's a brother rather than a cousin. He's going to betray. Uh, Coralise when he gets sick. Coralise gets sick and they think he's going to die and Veyman makes his move to try to become the heir to Driftmark.
1: I oh. mean, you could say betray Coralise. Like, I mean, Veyman feels very righteous in doing that because he believes that Coralise's heirs are not legitimate heirs so like i i i think that's a little bit of a too harsh of a a term for the betrayal okay yeah like i think i think he thinks he's doing right by corley's
2: maybe but if the thing is he's doing it before corley's is dead and and then which may not happen on the show like if he's doing this making this move before his brother's even dead i think that maybe is why it's a little dirty, but you're right. I think you're right. His claim is pretty valid, actually. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's it's not not a bad claim. He's not wrong there.
2: But it maybe so so arguably, you you could maybe even make the case that this makes the the quote unquote betrayal less uh, severe because if he's a cousin, it's even more overstepping yes. <laughs> rather than a brother. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, it also may simplify his heritage. Not that it needs explaining, but if they want to explain, and just have has them have a sh- or their mother be from the Summer Islands. That would. Well, they're brothers instead of cousins. Anyway, so there's a shot, another shot of them uh, staring at each other. And they look pretty angry at each other here. This doesn't look like two folks agreeing on anything, does it? So I wonder if this is being used to maybe set up that um, disagreement over the succession or just uh, setting up a rival or something. What do you think about this, Emmett? This is pretty severe look, huh?
3: From what we've seen of the, the Valerians so far on the show, and this matches up with what we have in the source material, a lot of the tension and drama here comes from exactly what their relationship to House Targaryen is mm. and what it's supposed to be, that they have these common Valyrian roots. But how much does that still matter relative to integrating forces like House Hightower? How much does that matter for the, the power of the Targaryens? And what do the Valerians do if they're not just the Targaryens' best friends? <laughs> yeah. and. I, yeah, I mean, they're probably not to the point in, in that one shot where they're looking at each other angrily. They might not be to the point of proposing the match with Rhaenyra or dealing with the fallout from that yet, but they're probably already struggling with that question. Maybe because of Damon. Maybe I'm biased. Uh, I just assume if there's any trouble in future episodes, I just blame Damon automatically <laughs> just ahead of time. But yeah, maybe they're, maybe Vaymond is less into this war or into it for different reasons than Corlys is. Maybe, uh, I mean, we don't know. Uh, what day how quickly Damon's ambitions to wear his own crown might come to the fore maybe this is after Damon suggests he be king of this place now yeah. maybe Damon reacts poorly to that i, like, I can see that happening i
2: get that i'm yeah yeah i'm the we did more or something like that yeah i could that could, some kind of provocation where he feels left out or isn't getting his due which might be set up him making a move to claim driftmark for himself mm-hmm. and that would that would that would be pretty good that might be a pretty interesting storyline Cause we know that's uh, going to be part of the future. So they may as well uh, do some groundwork on that. There's definitely gonna be a lot of fighting. There's going to be some awesome fiery trebuchet shots, some dragon action bow and arrows, more of crab feeder hammering people mm-hmm. <laughs> to stakes and a feast for crabs. We've had a feast for crows now a feast for crabs.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it, Interesting. We did we did clarify. Did we point this out last time that that is a Sons of the Harpy mask?
1: Yeah, I think we did say it, but it's always good to say again. Yeah, in the behind the scenes, the House the Dragons built, they did confirm that it was like a Sons of the Harpy mask that uh, that Kragas like found and repurposed. Yeah.
2: So, we know Craghas is not a long-term villain. Well, probably not a long-term villain. I mean, who knows if they have changed him around, but I severely doubt it because he has grayscale. That kind of makes you, by definition, not a long-term character. It almost reminds me a little bit of John Connington uh, in a little bit of ways, but this character is... They're framing him as very villainous, given his look, and he doesn't. We don't hear him speak, and any which somehow adds to that. I guess uh, I I assume he can. He wouldn't be a very effective commander without being able to talk. But I wonder if there's anything else to him. I wonder if they're just going to use him as this formidable character for them to defeat, and thus they get their rep, like we talked about. I wonder if there's going to be anything more to it than that. Uh, we know the stepstones will the, the, the Lyseni, even after Kragass is off the board they're going to continue to be a problem uh in fact the big part here is Otto will later use the enmity between damon Corliss and the triarchy to bring them in uh, as allies for the Greens. so that's possibly the biggest setup of all here uh on the on the large scale point do you would you agree with that Emmett, or do you see anything else that's uh or any other thing you want to say about this the setup for what's coming
3: yeah, that is my big question coming to this episode is this is clearly a diversion in terms of the the main plot, which isn't bad. It's just a question of then what you, what you do with that space. And I think a lot of it is, is character work for the people involved, introducing us uh, to them more, seeing them in action with each other, uh, giving Damon a chance to, to work out his anger, anger and spectacular style like he does. <laughs> and it also, of course, means they're absent from whatever goes on in King's Landing. They don't have the chance to interfere or, or get their noses in over there. And yeah, as far as the crab feeder, yeah, I think, I mean, there was that really striking ending to the last episode where it was cutting back and forth between him and Damon, like as if they almost like sensed each other or mm-hmm. like, you know, knew, knew the other one was coming. Mm-hmm. So setting him up as like, you know, like a, you do with a lot of secondary villains. One thing you can do with them is just set them up as a dark mirror of the, the more important characters uh. and setting him up as like, this is kind of like you know, this is, he's uh, the political game at its like lowest point or end point where you're, you're doomed and you're not even doing any good. You're just kind of fighting. So that could be a, a haunting thing for Damon if he ends up seeing it like that.
2: Well, yeah, that's a good point. A couple other character things I think could squeeze in here. Uh, Asher, here's a question for you. Uh, I'm curious what you think about this one. Damon, if Damon has to ask for help, if they're losing and he has to ask the king for help, do you think that could be, a a nice twist or a plot point where he's maybe reluctant to do that and the other guys maybe ask him to or maybe try to talk him into it or he just refuses because he doesn't want to ask for help and that's part of why it gets bad i don't know do you think uh i think maybe that something like that might happen
1: i think that i mean that that sounds possible i like if they need to ask for help i mean it takes a while to get there so like that shows if 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 they're doing that then that that would make me think that we're gonna see like the war of the stepstones, not over just like one battle, but Mm. over like a more long period of time.
0: Interesting. I've seen
1: people in the chat who were like, what if we'll do like a montage or like, you know, and I don't expect that, but I think if they were, I mean, if they're thinking they need help for something they think they need they they'll think they need they have time to get that help to arrive Mm. that would be my thought like it's not just they can't just they don't have the teleporter
2: yeah they don't have the teleporter and then there's that shot with damon passing a letter either sending a letter or receiving a letter now there's so many possibilities there It's, it's it's almost absurd to guess what could be in that letter but there's some very strong possibilities one being this like he's gonna he's like all right we need help or something like that or send this letter away. But this looks like it has been cracked open. So it's probably something they received. My One of my best guesses here is that it's news of the birth of Aegon, oh, which would uh, put uh, Damon uh, farther down the line of succession, which that uh-huh. would not be something he wants to hear. And it might not also be happy news for the Valerians who were trying to be, you know, they're still maybe bitter over that it wasn't Lena marrying <laughs> the king. So this is an interesting way to connect the plot lines and, and have a set up a little more enmity or just character more reason for Damon to be upset or something like that any uh any thoughts on that Emmett?
3: yeah that makes it sense. Makes, it makes me think of course about the letter that egon got that made him you know clench his hand oh, oh so nice yes um but yeah that makes absolute sense that of course yeah that would that would make Damon flip out even more which could again also provoke unease among the valerians about dealing with Damon as an ally which is, you know, I've said this before uh, many times in many places, but that's the one thing I really love about the, the Dance of the Dragons plotting is even though Damon is never the official heir, or the official next in line in the dance plotting because it's Rhaenyra versus second. The second or the, or the the claimants. So much of it is just built around everyone going, well, we can't have Damon in charge. So what are <laughs> yeah. we going to do? No. What's the workaround we're going to have to not, not put that guy in charge? It always reminds me of what, what Oberyn says to Tyrion in the main series, that he says, "Our uh, Septon or our Maester said that uh, my existence was the proof that the gods are good. Because if the gods were evil, they would have had me <laughs> as the firstborn <laughs> instead of Duran. And Damon is like a version of that. That everyone's worried that that might be the case. <laughs> you know, that he would he would end up in charge. And so, yeah, that's gonna the the, the news of another boy in the way because he can, he's probably telling himself he can outdo Rhaenyra if it comes to it. Still, even though he he got stared down by her so hard in the previous episode, yeah, she was so but good. there's. <laughs> She was, and it's, but it'll be a lot harder to convince himself he can get around another male heir, especially one that, like I said, it happened behind his back. He's not even there. Yeah. By the time he gets back, he who knows he may have just hoped that didn't happen, but it happened like right away <laughs>
2: instead, right yeah. immediately. <laughs> yeah. So that's a pretty. He's probably like, his hopes were dashed if if he had those hopes, and he probably did have those hopes. Yeah, you're right. That is a really good comparison, to Damon and Viserys to doran and uh oberon because yeah it's the same thing with the the health declining health and and all Mm -hmm. that because apparently Viserys will probably have trouble standing later and his his fingers are already missing apparently we'll talk about that in a bit (laughs) but yeah there there's every episode there's signs of his declining health that are kind of gruesome (laughs) you know he he just keeps on going but the the weeping sores and rotting finger it's like that is nasty man yeah <laughs> Oof. alright so do we have any final thoughts on the Stepstones or should we move on to the next section uh, I think we've covered everything I think we're
1: good that's like when it comes to war battle scenes so often there's not a whole lot to say you just you just sit back and enjoy it and, yeah. and, and you know mm-hmm. all that the
2: VX work they put a lot of work into these dragon scenes we know they're like gu- still working on some of the later episodes that aren't out yet to tweak the dragon stuff Yeah.
1: yeah. I guess my question is do we think we'll see Caraxes, melee's and sea smoke in action. Do you think Rainies will be there with Maleys, too?
2: I really didn't think of whether Rainies would
3: be there at all. Like uh, we don't
1: see her there, but like if they're gonna ask question. for help, that's the person they should like call. Like she could actually get there on time. Someone with a dragon. That's put. a great call. That's a
3: really good call. I wouldn't be surprised if that. That would happened, be cool. Yeah. Like they're like
1: if they're like really struggling, and then oh, there comes Rainies to save the day. Like what if she's like a big savior at the stepstones? Mm,
2: that could really set up her going to Rook's Rest early next season too. Is like they've already showed her in battle. That would yeah, that's a good idea. Oh, nice sorry. that could be cool. we get it. three dragons three heads three? of the dragon <laughs> that would be really cool i, I hope we get that now, now i really want that <laughs> <laughs> the red queen and the blood worm that'd be cool with some sea smoke in the middle yeah give me that give us that cool so yeah we'll wait and see what happens the uh i want to see corley swing that huge a- actually let's let's put that huge axe yeah. on screen we should oh, yeah. at least get a look at that yeah look at his fierceness this is a man his- you do not want to face in battle <laughs> We're finally getting Victorian on the show oh
0: <laughs>
2: that's true that is victorian look look, doesn't it so I saw one commenter a while back say that it would be cool if if that was the Celtigar axe that they like lent it mm. to him for this is like hey we also are suffering from the ste- pirates and the stepstones and the triarchy mm. we'll send some ships and here let you use our cool axe that, I, I kind of doubt that's the case but <laughs> we can hope <laughs> it's tricky because they don't have dark you know Valyrian steel is not easy to easily identifiable in, in show canon whereas in, in the books it's you know darker looking so we would be able to tell but oh well that's mm. the way it goes Alright, so uh, Drunk drunkest song of Ice and our History says.
1: Okay, Chloe. Chloe, yes. Uh-huh.
2: You I, I believe you are familiar with Chloe, aren't you, Emmett? <laughs> <laughs> Who? I don't I don't think so. Yeah. Okay, never mind. My bad. I, I thought you you two were married. <laughs> I but, kid, but I, I
3: kid. <laughs> right her. Oh now I remember. <laughs>
2: She says, and since it's an age up, what about seeing Lena claim Vagar at Spicetown?
3: Oh yeah, we that. could get that
2: this episode. I would, yes. love, to, I would love to see,
1: mm-hmm. see Lena claim Vagar rather than it happening off-screen. Like, I would like to see that happen.
2: Yeah, what if she comes to the comes to the <laughs> stepstone, just like y'all? Y'all were busy thinking about Rainis and Lenor, but I got the biggest dragon of all, and <laughs> I'm young and badass. And that was very nicely set up by Where's Vagar? That was so cool. We're <laughs> like, mm-hmm. any book readers like. Yes. <laughs> and I like that call like that that Vhagar is sad and, and Viserys says, yeah, even dragons can get lonely. That mm-hmm. was that was well done. It, that gave us the mm-hmm. feels. And of course, we have that shot of Vagar in the trailers. We don't know what trailer that's from or what episode that's from. But yeah, I guess that could be this episode. That would be pretty sweet. I don't remember what age she is when she claims Vagar in, in Book Canon, but that doesn't necessarily have a lot of bearing here anyway. It'll it'll happen yeah. soon. It'll probably be this episode or next one, maybe maybe the fifth episode, but I doubt it's any farther than that.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that.
2: Okay. Well, speaking of young people, even younger than little Lena is Aegon the second. Let's bring him into it. There he is holding a Balerian toy. Mm-hmm. And it's also our first clue that something's wrong with Viserys' hand. Look at that glove. Look at his pinky finger just, like, bending backwards. Because that's no pinky. There is no finger in that glove. <laughs> <laughs> Which I really wonder how they did this, like, for him. Like, they obviously didn't remove Patty Considine's fingers. So <laughs> some cool little trick going on here with his hand being farther up in the glove. Or he just has his fingers in a, mm. you know, a three-finger hole yeah, or something okay. like that. Yeah,
1: maybe they just, like, yeah, you, know, you can't even see what I I did a gesture on screen, but maybe they just, like fold it and then like wrap it or something you know yeah he just like it's uncomfortably holding his fingers down yeah
2: yeah he's like oh that was that was terrible i had to hold that fingers in my glove for six eight hours a day <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: Yeah, you have from now till the end of the show at the end of his run on the show he has to do whatever right. the solution Ironic. was he has to keep doing it
3: ironically he will have lost his fingers by the end of the season <laughs> <laughs> That's a yeah, yeah. step-by-step. Step. They're going to get so gnarled exactly. That's that's how you know you're in character. That's, that's true method acting. So there's there's
2: so much symbolism and metaphor in Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire. I think maybe their early, early returns, I think House of the Dragon is a little bit more sophisticated and subtle with those kind of notations so far. I mean, it's only been two episodes, but I think that they're a little better in including the same kind of foreshadowy metaphor detail that we're used to from the books for and what's interesting about this is we often find ourselves looking at things as symbolic occasionally they're just accidental that doesn't mean they're not symbolic it just means they weren't intended by the author or the showrunners what do you think of we got two pieces of possible symbolism here the first one i think is maybe a little bit of a reach but maybe not that toy Valerian, is that maybe a little ominous for this kid to be <laughs> playing with this, da- this big dragon? Is that foreshadowy or is that just,
3: is that, is that maybe just a reach to, to think about it that way? Uh, that can only end well. I think about <laughs> Sandor playing with the night toy. Oh, I didn't think of that. That one. ended well. That did not end well.
1: I would be curious to see how Aegon actually interacts with the dragon on screen. Oh. Like, we just see it in his hands here. But for all we know, he's saying, I want to make the dragon go there. You know, like who knows what he's saying about his dragon toy? That's a so
2: good question. So I think question. that will really
1: yes, clinch what I think the metaphor, the symbolism is here.
2: Yeah. Okay. We have a quote from Otto. It's like the first thing in the trailer. The road ahead is uncertain, but the end is clear. Aegon will be king. Okay, straightforward. We knew Otto was going to do this. I think even people who probably haven't <laughs> seen the show would have seen this coming if they knew a kid was coming, or a boy, a boy child, anyway. And this is, brings us to our maybe second metaphor. Viserys' hand is rotting. Otto is his hand. <laughs> this is a rotten fellow. <laughs> is that you think that's intentional? It certainly works. But uh, whether you think it's intentional or not, what do you think about this uh, this, notif- this notice here?
3: Yeah, Otto's been a, a strong presence but kind of background in terms of the actual momentum of the plot for the first couple episodes. Damon was definitely driving things more, but now Otto takes center stage, and yeah, I love that little line of his: The road ahead is uncertain, you know. Step two, question mark, question mark, step three, profit. <laughs> yes! Otto <We'll get> <laughs> uh, un- pants Uncertain <laughs> Uncertain is his way of putting we'd have to kill both Damon and Rhaenyra to pull this off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say that out loud yet. And yeah, how he manages how he manages the switch from being you know pro Rhaenyra to pro Aegon, it's pretty shameless in the book, and we don't even have direct access. So politically, how he manages that is going to be very interesting. But he's going to lean hard on the question of gender because that's that's the strongest tool in his toolbox in terms of getting around Rhaenyra already being the name already being named the heir. So you know he's going to be going hard on that. And then I'm interested to see how. Alicent deals with that being the strategy, mm-hmm. both because of her own personal relationship with Rhaenyra and because it involves kind of diminishing her, you know, by proxy as well. One idea I
2: heard was that Otto will do what Kristen Cole does in the books, which is Tell can use violence against his family to convince Aegon II to seize his sister's crown, saying, look, if Daemon and, and Rhaenyra ascend the throne no trueborn strong can hold the throne (laughs) as long as there are targaryens out there so they're going to have you killed and that's what apparently according to fire and blood is what convinced aegon to rise up so this maybe is what otto will will scare his daughter with to say look you know maybe i can't scare you with this but they're going to come for your kid and that any mother would not just look over overlook such a threat um i don't think so that's probably going to be part of it but also in book canon, we have Otto and Allison both pushing pretty hard for this. Maybe Allison's doing it for these reasons. Otto is pushing her, but she might just be doing it of her own accord at this point. We don't know yet. I don't get that sense from the trailers, but we'll see. Uh, Viserys gets sick of this pushing for uh, a change and sends Otto home. To not be Hand anymore and names lionel strong instead i'm wondering if they will still do that i think they'll probably do this in the show there's a chance they don't they skip over that um but it it does allow it, it does enable the setup for Larry strong to come onto to the scene so i'm guessing they will do you have any thoughts on this you think it'll be soon or do you think maybe uh it's still an episode or two away um weigh in on the push for Aegon to be air in general if you would please poor quentin <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's it. how they handle the timeline of, of Rhaenyra's many suitors and would-be suitors is also something I was not concerned about necessarily, but just interested in terms of the spacing out of the show. Because you have to, as with the Valerians, even though the Strongs aren't the central characters, the point of the story, you, you really need them and you need the audience to know who they are when they start doing important things. So, And we've already gradually been introduced to that family with first, the first couple episodes. So I think both uh, you know uh, kicking out Otto's hand is a good dramatic moment for Viserys but it could also it's just an excuse to bring the strongs to the forefront which is uh, you know like we we're talking about with Lenor and uh Joffrey Longmouth in the stepstones that's a lot of what you got to do in like the these next couple episodes is take any excuse to highlight those secondary characters mm. just to get the audience acclimated with who they are oh, so th- that would be a perfect opportunity to do it with the strongs
2: i have an idea here that's kind of coming to me in the moment maybe what they'll do is Show that Lainor right, pretty show pretty clearly that Lainor is interested in men, and then simultaneously show while they're simultaneously talking about how Rhaenyra needs to get married. There's a the bit in the trailer where Viserys is yelling at her, like even I am not above tradition and do that's that's almost certainly relating to her not wanting to get married, and. Uh, Meanwhile, maybe showing the gears turning towards Rainier and Lenor getting married while they're showing why that won't work be, or won't work well because of his uh, orientation. And that is really interesting because there's really two ways to look at that for Otto's perspective. Will Otto be like, oh, crap, they just married the Velaryons. That's terrible for me. Or will he be like, aha, dead-end marriage, that guy's not likely to father children because mm-hmm. he's not into women, and he thinks that's a good thing because yeah. that clears the way for, that makes the road even more clear for his family to ascend the throne. So I, I, that's tricky. I don't know. There's really two ways that could go. I guess a lot depends on whether Otto's aware of Lenor's orientation. If he's not, then that that's just a non-starter. Any, uh, any thoughts on that? Shea, we'll start with you this time. Any, any takes there?
1: No, I mean, I think that would be very cunning of Otto to do that. Not only does it do what you just said, but it kind of ties Rhaenyra to someone she's already tied to. Instead of giving her a new ally, like the Lannisters say, which would be very powerful for her, instead she's just tied to the Valerians who already probably would have supported her. Mm. So I think it, it kind of mitigates that.
2: So it's like they already have that ally, so they're just like, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because you would think he doesn't want... Even though we we know she's going to refuse the Lannisters, we might, we might find ourselves thinking Otto trying to encourage that refusal as well you're right yeah. they, she doesn't you're right they don't want Otto they don't want the Lannisters on the on the side of Rainier's faction that's a mm-hmm. great point yeah you could almost see Otto angling for it this marriage if he's if he's aware of Laenor's orientation you wonder if that's possible what do you think Emmett
3: yeah no I agree that and you know, from Otto's perspective he's probably been preparing to always fight the Valerians whether in war just in politics that's kind of probably baked into the cake for him in terms of his family's rise to power so he would probably be pleased that Rhaenyra is not bringing in someone else he's going to have to fight just doubling down on the Valerians which I think you know makes sense from the Valerians perspective but for Otto it's like well yeah that was already you were already on the board as far as I'm concerned so that just uh puts more kindling to the fire in terms of their conflict
0: right
2: on
3: cool okay well let's move on
2: unless any of you have final thoughts on egg on the second we'll be coming back to we're gonna be talking about allison quite a bit in the second half so there's more more time there because she's got another baby coming (laughs) as we've seen in the in the shot so we'll talk about that in a second first of all a question from philip rumor has it elizabeth oslin is being cast olson
1: oh okay oh Oh, it's just spelled it wrong i I don't know who that
2: is is this
1: Who's Elizabeth that, Olsen? That, that's Wanda Maximoff, Scarlet Witch.
2: Oh, that Elizabeth Olsen. Oh, my yeah, goodness. That
1: Elizabeth Olsen. Is that a,
2: is it, really? That's a rumor? It's she's being cast. It's currently
1: passed? a rumor that she's been cast for season two, but it is just a rumor. Philip asks, what character do you, th- do y'all think she's likely to be if this happens? Allison Rivers, perhaps? I, I think probably Elizabeth Olsen wouldn't only want to be typecast into doing another witchy character. <laughs> I think she would be good as Johanna hmm. Westerling. Ooh. that would be my pick but uh, there's so many roles she like I, they could squeeze her in or jane aaron maybe like but i i jane Aron, oh, yeah. yeah if I, if i was gonna guess someone i would say johanna westerling and again my thought on alice rivers is i just it's just so similar like she's already the scarlet witch so, like it would be kind of weird to me to see her as another witch, the <laughs> witch queen kind of i think about that that would uh, be funny to see her as a uh, witch queen
2: <laughs> that's interesting any thoughts on that emmett <laughs>
3: Yeah, that would be what a very peculiar thing to be typecast as. Be, uh, it could be cool. I mean, she's a she's a wild character. You could see her uh, jumping into that dramatically. Um, yeah, I think that's the most uh, that's, that was probably I thought the most likely choice. But also, I could yeah, I could see her really uh, ripping into a Westerland's character because that's those are. Supporting characters we don't really get to see much of in the main series because it's most because we're never in the Westerlands. Mm-hmm. So having someone prominent play one of them, I think that could be cool. Yeah, yeah. that
1: sounds pretty neat. Yeah, I like seeing her like that. fight the Greyjoys and all that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm not opposed to it. Like I generally like them to get lesser known people. But though Elizabeth Olsen mm-hmm. is known for Marvel, like, she's not like a huge like she's not in like as he didn't know her name just <laughs> now like, <laughs> Aziz did not know who that was. Yeah, so she's not. I have seen the, this, yeah. the show, but yeah, but yeah. <laughs> so like she's not a huge name. So. I I don't think it would. I don't think it would be too strange for me personally. Probably for some super big Marvel fans, it might throw them off. But I think it's fine for me.
2: So, is there any chance they also cast Ashley and Mary Kate? Yeah. (laughs) 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 Mm, Probably not. Probably not. (laughs) Hey, but they could be Lannisters. I mean, Lannisters run to twins, so you know they could Mm -hmm. they could just fit that in somehow. Anyway. Question from Ellen McLean. Uh, just an open question about the maesters. We're told by Lewin in the, that the final test for an acolyte to become a maester is sitting in the windowless room all night with a glass candle and that it never becomes lit. We also know that the glass candles are burning again since Danny Hatcher dragons or roughly around that same time, if not precisely. There's a plenty of dragons around for House of the Dragons. So she's asking, Did was this still the ritual they had in place at this time? Because maybe the glass candles were already on and it wouldn't work. For this, you know, this metaphor that they put their students through to like, you have to do, you know, you have to rely on real knowledge and, and all that stuff. Kind of neat, like to think about maybe that's not the case in this era. That's a great question. I, I We obviously don't have a ready, solid answer, but we can make some guesses here. I think it's uh, certainly possible that the glass candle test was a relatively recent thing given when they went out but we really don't know when they shut off it could have been that they shut off quite a bit before but mm, i don't know that's kind of a conundrum any any thoughts on that Emmett?
3: yeah that's not something i've actually thought much about is how old that particular ritual is and it does make sense for it to be a relatively recent one which is especially Uh, funny if if the maesters were in fact involved in the death of uh, death of the dragons because then they're essentially bragging to every new generation (laughs) of maesters yeah we took that apart you can't do it can you (laughs) Um, nice and i i always just loved that ritual it's just this very blunt expression of the maesters worldview that you just we're gonna make you spend a whole night staring the death of magic in the face so (laughs) in the dark yeah that's exactly in the darkness that's it's, it's so great because it's like the maesters are are you know they're the rational they're the kind of the opposite of the more spiritual religious forces but that's really a religious ritual yeah. is what that sounds like <laughs> yeah. like sit alone in the dark and, and you know think about things like it's like uh it's like you're about to be anointed to, to be a knight and really yeah so is. that's a good question i never really thought of the connection there because the death of the dragons is fairly recent historically speaking only 150 years less than that really leading up to to a leading up to robert's rebellion so maybe that's something the maesters developed af- afterwards yeah. um also maybe just to test to see if any of their their younger generation had any skill for it or believed in it too hard. Uh,
1: yeah. yeah. I feel like I would say, yeah, it was added later, just. Like it's 150 years is enough time for a new right to be added to everything, and for it to be like well ingrained. Like that's how it's always been, but really it's not nearly as ancient as uh, you know the citadel itself, which is obviously thousands of years old. So this is a new, new thing.
2: Yeah, you have archmaesters who have born and lived and died in this whole period. They would grown up in an era without where glass candles haven't been lit in. 80 years or something, and they're like, Hey, yeah, maybe let's add this in. Yeah, so like
1: maybe it's not 150 years, it's like, Yeah, it's 80 years old. Like you uh, said, it took a while,
2: yeah, something like that. it Makes sense. All right, before we continue, let's uh, let's Emmett, you've had some changes over at cast Why don't you uh, shout out your show and what's going on over there these days and uh, just tell us what's what's happening?
3: Yes, indeed. So we were on hiatus from A Song of Ice and Fire for a bit, but we're back into it now. Me and my uh, new co host Manu, aka my nuclear Bomb, mm-hmm. one of my favorite people. If you don't uh, follow him on, on Twitter and other platforms, you absolutely should. And yeah, so we're doing A episodes once every other week now. And I'm on the alternate weeks, uh, I'm covering Lord of the Rings and Star Wars on my own for patrons, and we're covering House of the Dragon every week. So yeah, in, in the on the main cast, we're just we're just revving up to the incredible stretch of Storm of Swords. Nice. Like right before the Red Wedding with like Ooh. Croster's Keep. And the awesome stuff with Barrack and Thoros, and uh, Dabblus being named the Hand. Jamie's best chapters in Hall. So a lot of great stuff coming up over there. You can find us on Podbean, on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find the Noticast podcast and our Patreon, patreoncom A S O I I F is where I do. Special episodes for patrons and people get early access and a bunch more benefits. So, yeah, a lot of, we're going to, I'm psyched. There's a lot of great stuff we're going to be covering this fall.
2: Hell yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I d- highly recommend y'all check uh, Not a Cast out. Most of you probably have already, but if not, Emmett is arguably the most eloquent man in the fandom. And <laughs> if you're All eloquent, you're likely to win the argument. So, hey. <laughs> But you wouldn't. That's the best way of putting it. You're too humble to do that yourself, but we'll do it for you. Most, for the most (laughs) (laughs) part. For the most part, yeah. (laughs) So, right on. Yeah, definitely check Not a Cast Out, folks. Um, There is a shot of Rhaenyra in the Godswood reading, which is interesting because this might indicate this would probably happen before they hit the road for the West, I guess. Um, Or maybe it's a different Godswood. Uh, That's a possibility that we get some Uh other Godswood, maybe on the way to the West, or. Because that isn't distinctly. For sure, the red keep is it? I don't think it is.
1: No, I think it would, be inter- it would be interesting if Rainier just makes a point to go to God's Woods wherever they travel. Like that's yeah. kind of that seems a little strange. Except that you know she likes nature, or she wants to sit under a tree or like it's peaceful. Like I, I it's not. Um, it wouldn't be that strange. But I'm guessing that this is. Before she's there reading, and then they come and say, "Hey, we got to go see some suitors or go do whatever." Yeah. I, I would guess that this is setting up. They're going on a trip, and this is the red key
2: Okay, right on. Yeah, I love that the scales like making her look dragony. It's really emphasizing her. I mean, that looks like a Targaryen, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is a Targaryen. Now, this is an uh, an area where I don't have much uh, skill in analyzing, but there's things they do at the makeup to make her look a little bit older. I mean, she's already older than her character. So it's more like, maybe it's more, they undoing, made her look yeah. younger. <laughs> now they're uh-huh. le- doing less of that. So w- is there anything, maybe Ashaya, can you tell, what, what do they do there? Like how, like with Allison, it's a little Allison, easier. Allison, it's
1: easier. I think that, she's pre- that, so pregnant. She's <laughs> so pregnant, but also like there's like a lot of contouring that they did on her face. As you okay. can see, like they made her look a little thicker because she's pregnant, like with uh. the, like under her chin. Like I think Allison shows the aging up more. Like she really does look like slightly older here yeah yeah i think it's Um, easier to
2: tell with her but yeah
1: um and so that that, and but yeah i think it's things like that a lot of it would be contouring to make their faces slightly more angular or slightly less angular Mm. you know like because like when you're younger you have a rounder face okay yeah um so that like things like that you know um that would be and and some of it's styling too a little bit like
0: where how they you do know, their hair, like yeah, how they do their hair, yeah, exactly. Or whatever. Okay.
1: Um, yeah, Neat. but uh, but no, I do think Rainier does also look a little like she's aged a little bit, but no, Allison really shows it. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's an important part of storytelling. The way they do this, it's some, not something we pay as much attention to when we're reading because there's no visuals to <laughs> key in on. It's not part of the storytelling. It's the descriptions of the characters are though. If you hear that someone looks tired then you assume that they've been going through stuff. But if they actually look a certain way, you just have to notice that and think about it. So that's something I'm trying to get better at cuz there's so much more <laughs> Game of Thrones going to be on TV. I want to be able to keep up with what they're trying to tell us here. I want to pick up what they're throwing down. So and y'all are here to help. So hell yeah, we're going through all this together. So yeah, speaking of Allison pregnant, that is in addition to baby Aegon. So this should be Helena, right? Helena's the second born. And Helena right. will marry Aegon. Uh, you know, I've never really thought about how Alicent, a fa- worshiper of the seven, will feel about that later, but that's kind of farther down the road. <laughs> but it's like, does she approve of her own children marrying?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, you're right.
2: <laughs> like she, we've already seen her going to the sept and praying, you know, and how talking about how she does this a lot. And this is, I don't know, that would be, it's a good other example of how, uh, Allison is not driving a lot of this action. It's her father pushing her towards this. And I think maybe that might be a conversation they have to have later. That would probably be more like an episode six or seven thing, though. I don't suppose that's before. So too young for for that to come up. Yeah, now, probably. Yeah. Certainly not this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe someone will mention My- it. Maybe Viserys will be like, yeah. And if that's a girl, they're getting married. And Allison's like, oh,
3: crap. I didn't think about that. Viserys <laughs> is like, I'm not paying for two weddings. One, it shall be. <laughs> so yeah, Allison, Allison might react like Rainis did uh, in the last episode. That, like, yeah, I don't like it, but I'm still it's it's happening through yeah. and around me, and we're going forward with it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> It's our it's our ticket in. It's our weight at the top.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Another difference
2: with Allison is that, in, as in contrast to her very blue and very green dresses she's worn, now she has this very bright red, very distinctly red colored, which is probably in honor of their host. There's red everywhere because they're gone to the West and they're seeing the uh, the Lannisters. But there's also you know this guy standing behind her in this shot that's clearly have a Targaryen sigil. So it's also kind of, if this was a different era, this would be Blackfire. But in this era, no such thing has been heard of. So red and black, black and red is pretty much the same thing for the Targaryens at this point. So I guess it's kind of a a good overlap for
0: them.
1: (laughs) I liked... um, I was talking to... um... Britt and Megan, who are cosplayers in the fandom, Birdie D cosplay and Assaults of Stark. Anyways, I was talking to them at um, Dragon Con about this outfit exactly, and they pointed out that this shade of red that Allison is wearing is not the same shed as the traditional Targaryen red. Oh, okay. Speaking to how she's like, she's she's trying to become one of them, but isn't fully there. Oh, and I thought that was a really interesting perspective because it is kind of more of a. It's just a slightly like more bur- it's just a slightly different shade than um this the brighter red of the targaryens okay. as they know well th- than uh, than we do yeah uh, um
2: good see that's exactly what i'm talking about paying attention stuff like that i never would have caught that <laughs> but once it's pointed out to me i'm like yeah that probably is meaningful i mean she is a mother of dragons but she isn't born a dragon herself so that
3: is yeah that is kind of a mm.
2: one foot in each corner Any takes on that Emmett?
3: uh yeah no i think that's a great point i hadn't something i hadn't thought about much like you were saying about things to pay attention to i'm always i always miss costuming details and then people who are much more knowledgeable than me catch me up and then it's like of course that's how that was being <laughs> communicated <laughs> yeah. but in the moment i'm like yeah that looked nice and then that's <laughs> that's the end of my <laughs> analysis i guess you can see it here right in
2: this in this picture she has on the screen now like look at viserys's dark deep dark red just, versus yeah. allison's more Bright red. I was just, someone better than me could name the shades better than dark and light, but <laughs> still, that you can tell visually, it's pretty clear when you lay it out like that. So we're gonna see a lot of Lannister stuff. I'm I'm presuming there's Jason and Tyland Lannister. We'll meet them. They are twins. Speaking of Lannisters, running to twins, we have a shot of probably this is Jason Lannister gifting the spear, right? We're pretty sure because is, is Tyland beardless and Jason bearded. Is that what we?
1: I I, I think that is the case. Um. I can pull up the shot of Jason himself.
2: So that he's gifting a spear. This is uh, also we see the spear oh, there in is. another spot. Yeah, so here's the, the it's fancy spear. It's like
1: like rough on it that when you when we see Viserys, I'll put it on screen. We see him here at first. I was like, what does he have on his spear? Yeah. and then it's pretty clear that it's just got this tassel. Thing. Tassel yeah. is that? I, I don't know if spears well enough to know if that's like fairly like do spears ever do that
2: that's that's fancy only that's not something yeah. you need in battle i don't think i mean i'm also not an expert on spears but i've never you don't see spearmen with that very often it's only like it's i think it's decoration
1: <laughs> look here. at otto back here watching yeah he's like oh, you know, yeah look uh, at him staring I, I, no, at him. we like, don't want let's let's the just, lannisters uh, to ally yeah. here <laughs> he <laughs> do does not want that <laughs> yeah
2: yeah it's gonna be neat to see how otto slot like cl- cleverly slyly undermines whatever's happening here Because, yeah, as we said, he doesn't want any of this. So that's probably a boar he's stabbing, Viserys is. But if we go back to this shot of Viserys stabbing with the boar, you can notice notice his two fingers just pointing straight up again. (laughs) (laughs) The fingers just aren't (laughs) part of this at all. (laughs) So it's more evidence that his fingers have been removed. And uh, we also have this shot of them walking, which this has been memed heavily because it's been set side by side with Robert and
1: uh, you say of them walking. It's of them riding, right? That of them riding like
2: a... next to right of shots of Robert <laughs> walking because yes. they didn't have money for horses in season one of
0: Game of Thrones. It's
2: <laughs> kind of funny to think about this season has dragons, <laughs> let alone horses. <laughs> um, so probably most, if not all the Kingsguard are present. And of course, Harold Westerling and Kristen Cole are pretty relevant in that sense because, of course, Kristen Cole is and Rhaenyra, their thing is going to be developing. We're not entirely sure how they're going to roll with that on the show. But one of the trailer scenes is Rhaenyra saying, no one's here for me. And she rides off into the woods and there's this, there's this, uh, the shot goes to Kristen Cole looking at her, even as it's Harold Westerling's voice shouting, princess, princess. So... I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe Kristen rescues her in the woods and that kicks this off. They have a moment alone of like oh, a, a close call with some animal that's coming for her because there's that other shot where he, she's kind of on the ground crawling away from something. And uh, any thoughts on this, Emmett? You think maybe this is what kickstarts that, the catalyst mm-hmm. for their, their relationship, whatever shape that ends up taking?
3: Yeah, totally. Like I was saying earlier, you have to, I think, take advantage of these scenes with conflict between the main characters to also get the secondary characters involved. Mm-hmm. Try to do that organically as possible. And Kristen Cole is a character that we've had a little time with, but we need to emphasize him more for certain later events to be <laughs> as dramatic as they're supposed to be. Yeah. So that actually makes, I could absolutely see the episode going in that, in that order that. You have the conflict between Rhaenyra and Alicent and that's a central one. And then, and the kind of the spillover effect of that is you get a scene with Rhaenyra and Kristen as she runs away and has to be brought back. So you can accomplish both of those things within one kind of fluid, dramatic approach. I think that makes total sense.
2: Yeah, well said. Now, and a- during all this, Allison seems to be begging Rainier for them not to be at odds. So she's still trying to mend the breach there, but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Maybe there'll be a little bit of pullback before it se- gets severed finally. But I don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll, I'll just have to wait and see on that. Now, I wonder what Allison thinks about the possible marriage mm-hmm. stuff that might be happening here. And we know it's not going to, but Allison and Otto and other people are going to maybe react to the possibility of a Lannister-Rhaenyra marriage. This is pretty much straight from book canon as well, uh, which it, which by that, I mean Rhaenyra being fought over by Jason and Tylen Lannister. And being by fought over, I mean they try to outdo each other with gifts and stuff like that. So we'll probably see some, There's one shot, I think, um, that we have that's of Rhaenyra facing, again, either probably Jason or is that Tylen? Because that that looks like Jason Jason still. still. So he might be about to, like, he's trying to offer her something or flirt with her, or I don't know. He's probably what this is happening here because we'll probably see that attempt.
0: Mm.
2: In, In Book Canada, that's in the year 112. Again, the timeline has moved around a little bit. We don't need to worry about that too much. No. But it might be when we, we might meet Joanna Westerling around here, um, unless they're waiting to cast her next season, unless she's like Elizabeth Olsen or something. you got something to add here?
1: Yeah, um, I was. One thing I've seen people say is that you know we haven't seen Rainiera be nicknamed the Realm's Delight, oh, and I feel that good. if we're going to see that, it could happen when people are vying for her hand. When she is, someone might say, oh, you know, she's like, I don't want to get married, but you're the Realm's Delight, you know. Like we might, Very I feel point. like this might be when that finally happens if we get that title.
2: Yeah, that's a really good call. So, what Jason's gonna do? Is Mary Johanna Westerling, like we said, and then he's going to die trying to invade the Riverlands, and uh, against the Greens <laughs> or for the Greens uh, against, against Rainier, yeah. yeah. So she, so obviously this is not going to work out. So Otto will will be happy with how this all goes, <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> but Johanna will go on to lead the war against the Red Krakens. She'll be basically become the leader of the West in in because of the death of her husband, and their young son is like a couple of years old, so he's certainly not fit to lead, and that's going to be interesting not just as a story but to see how much of that they include in the show do you have any general thoughts on the westerlings let's keep in mind that harold westerling is one of is her kin of some unknown connection but they're both westerlings so yeah uh, emmett general thoughts on uh, any of these last few topics here
3: yeah, I think it'd be very interesting to see them competing for her hand, and each coming up with more and more elaborate nicknames <laughs> to try to top the realm's delight. But yeah, I mean that's that uh, that flattery that Ranira kind of wants in terms of cementing her position. But she also, I don't think, I get the sense from her a couple episodes, and she just she doesn't like hanging around these people necessarily. Um, and that that flattery might start to wear on her relative to the more kind of personal relationship she wants so with Allison's or with other people. And it that fits with characters that people have compared Rhaenyra to, like Cersei who or even Stannis, who like at some level want adoration but also don't really like people. <laughs> <laughs> Constant give and take between no, come close, love me, no, go away, I hate you. Uh-huh, <laughs> that, that she's there like that cats. Constant... <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's what secretly this has all been about. Rainier's <laughs> not a dragon, she's a cat. It's <laughs> all been about cats. But that that give and take is uh I think part of what rubs her so raw mm-hmm. over the course of the story. So I definitely think we're gonna be seeing that with Maybe she, maybe it's too much the amount of attention she gets. Maybe she needs to blow off steam, and maybe that's where the Kristen Cole relationship develops as well, because he's so much, such a different on a different part of the political system and just the hierarchy uh, than the than the the Westerlings or the Lannisters are. So maybe that's part of the appeal.
2: Yeah, and like he's genuinely interested in her. Presumably, again, we don't know how the show is going to roll with it, but that would be something that maybe she appreciates, whereas these other people are just it's all politics and power. The flattery is in, is intended to reach a certain goal or to for for their house and not necessarily to for her family or something like that, which she seems to care about. I agree. That's a very good point about uh, the way she views these relationships, and maybe she's a bit cynical about some of it. And maybe that's what will lead us to Viserys yelling at her, like we saw in the trailer, yeah. for you got to mm-hmm. marry and et cetera, et cetera. We'll be very curious to see how they they roll with that. Okay, um, moving on to uh, a few other bits here. Viserys sitting in his chair. This is the coolest chair I've ever seen.
1: <laughs> cooler than the Iron Throne? Uh, well, that's a throne. It's Arguably,
2: awesome. that's. Uh, we'll say the throne and a chair are different things, but you're, you're right. If it was a real, just a. a th- if if a chair is a throne, then this is. Then the I, Iron I, throne think, is cooler, I think the cooler chair cooler.
1: was. Uh jaharis's chair his throne from the great council in episode one at Harrenhal. hall mm. like that if i had to choose one i would chair. choose that but no i'm zooming in on this one you're right i didn't give it i didn't look at the chair before but it is pretty cool
2: yeah the black and gold yeah that's pretty cool oh, it's got like it like, nice looks
1: like sweet. like kind of like claws right yeah. there yeah that's pretty cool details
2: a very sweet chair. I wonder if that's a gift or if he travels with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess you're right that this might be the same kind of thing that we saw with Jaharis, How Ryan was like, yeah, they built that chair for Jaharis to go to Heron Hall for the if it's a show. We're also seeing the that chair that Viserys has a chair for traveling and looking fancy.
2: Right on. So even yeah, so there's just a bunch of shots that make it clear that his fingers are gone, and. We wonder if... It's kind of an interesting how they're doing that, because it seems like it's not a big deal. In early in Fire and Blood, in the Dance of the Dragons section, it's uh, not much is made of Viserys' health. It's Until later, it becomes a very big deal. And there's lots of things that go wrong with it. Presumably that's still going to happen. But it seems like they're just setting that up earlier here. Like the loss of his fingers, I think, happens a little farther in canon. And, of course, Melos later when he's replaced by Orwell, Maester Orwell comes in and does a better job, and that A, fuels a few Maester conspiracies, B, maybe just speaks to Orwell's better at healing, who knows. But what do you think in general about the setup of Viserys' health earlier? Is that just to lead us along to the eventual, or do you think there's maybe more to it, or what do you think about this in general?
3: I like, yeah, that we get the more competent Maester in. It's like in Veep when uh when gary's trying to fix like a, a zit on selena's face and he just keeps making it worse oh, God, and worse yeah, yeah, he's yeah. just yeah. heating it <laughs> yeah and then a doctor just comes in and goes cold compress gary Cold, cold, <laughs> that's, cold the compress. Opposite. that's that's exactly that's what we're going to be dealing with 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 Viserys. <laughs> um and yeah i love the uh yeah i mean george loves his hand metaphors you see that with with characters as, as different as jamie or davos it's a great way to show someone's will weakening and their their control on things lessening Uh, Sometimes it's just a joke, like I was when you were talking about the chair. I was thinking about Mace Tyrell's chair, the the hand chair. Oh God, I love that bit in the the epilogue to A Dance with Dragons when. Kevin names him Hand, and then Mace Tyrell drags out the chair that he clearly had made like years ago,
0: yeah. just
3: in case he ever got made Hand of the King. Pull it out, pull it out. <laughs> yeah, um, even Kevin rolls his eyes at that. <laughs> he's like you gotta be kidding. Me. It's like, ugh. Yeah, I love that. But he's like, man, maybe Cersei was right about these assholes. Maybe they are the worst. <laughs> I can't stand them. But yeah, no, that's I, I I like that built into Viserys. It was subtle at first, like there was the very brief glimpse of the cut he took from the throne in the first episode. And now it's just getting it's getting less and less subtle as we go, which is is perfectly appropriate, I think.
2: Yeah, I like that you mentioned Davos because Davos is maybe the most similar in terms of the actual wound here. He loses exactly two mm-hmm. fingers, and so does Viserys. I guess I guess we wonder uh, what else is going to be done to his health. Like, how else are they going to show that? I mean, maybe just a general decline. Fairly straightforward things that they do to show someone's health decline. You stoop, your hair gets a little limper. Maybe uh-huh. they'll show him losing some hair. Uh, obviously, can add lines to his face. I guess we'll just see how they they handle that as time passes by. But yeah, do you think there's anything to the uh, the idea that the Maesters are keeping him? I, I I don't think we can say they're killing him because it just takes so long. Like if they wanted him dead, they would have done it. Wouldn't have dragged it out over 20 years but if they want to keep him you know there's something to be said for a tractable ruler we've seen that before they got rid of Joffrey so they could use Tommen to because he's he could rule through him so Viserys is already a little on the softer sides so maybe they would just want to keep him that way I tend to think maybe that's a stretch but I'm open to it what do you think yeah
3: I don't I mean I don't know. That's not. It's an extra layer of conspiracies among a bunch of other conspiracies at work. I don't know if that's necessarily what's happening. I think it's. I just. I I was just picturing Phantom Thread when she's like, uh, the main. She's poisoning Daniel Day Lewis to keep him like, uh, passive in the relationship. Like that's just what the Maesters are doing to Viserys. They're just trying to keep him nice, trying to keep him good, but yeah no i probably lean against that i think if we get to maester conspiracy stuff it'll be towards the end right end on. of the story rather than the beginning
2: okay yeah i think i mean i i think we're we're all pretty sure that there's some connection between otto and melos because they sit at all and hightower and all that but that doesn't mean they're that's true That doesn't mean they're poisoning the king uh, it just means that they have uh, melos has to keep what otto wants in mind because of his influence and all that yeah that's more of a exactly. one-way street melos doesn't have much influence over <laughs> Otto. <laughs> i don't probably think. true <laughs> It will be interesting to see what happens if they run with the Lionel Strong's hand, which I definitely think they probably will. Uh, There's a chance they skip that. If Melos will still be Maester with Lionel Strong's hand, and that might be be a change in how court politics work. Um, We've seen that this council is a little on the slack side in terms of taking care of problems I mean Viserys that mostly stems through him maybe Otto is encouraging some of that or maybe he's just not a good hand I don't really get a sense of how good a hand he is outside of his plotting if you take that away Tywin was a at least capable administrator as much as there's a plenty of more criticism is a mild too mild of a word for Tywin but you know there are certain things he was at least okay at in terms of running um, when he wasn't brutalizing people but Otto, we don't even get a sense of, like, his general skill as an administrator. No, I don't King, even think it's even that, that discussed in Fire and Blood. We know
1: you? King's Landing was not in good a good state enough That's that true. they had That's Damon true. dealing with criminals. So that isn't a good arbiter already to me.
2: Good point, yeah. Maybe they'll use it as a way to show some differences. The final takes over, and we hear, like, now things yeah. are a little different. We know
1: they're not handling the Stepstone situation, which is important. for Handling. Handle, like, yeah. Handling. <laughs> but, <laughs> nice. yeah, like, so the, like, there's two things right there that Otto... Otto. what the second one, Otto is maybe you could say he's dropping the ball on, but he's doing it very calculatingly, like he, it's for his better interests, like for his best interest, just not for the realm's best interests. Whereas the King's Landing thing, I don't know that that did much to destabilize anything. I think that might have just been be- him being lax and what. I don't think Damon's wrong when he said like, when's the last time you went out and we're walking the city streets? Probably never. Never. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's not, I don't think he's wrong there. Yeah, that's a
2: good point. Yeah, I like Agreed. that line from Damon. Yeah, it shows their detachment where. He has his own level of detachment and arrogance and pride, but he has at least walked the streets a little bit. You know, if not more than that, (laughs) he does have more of a connection to the everyday folk. Um, who he hangs out with sort of. (laughs) We'll see how that goes. Cool. Cool. All right. Um, Because this episode is so battle focused, we did have a a bit of a shorter episode today. So we're going to start wrapping it up.
1: Yeah, Shorter and Aziz is being very nice to me because as you can see by my hair, I do have a photo shoot hour for a cosplay. So it actually worked out really well that this was a battle episode. <laughs> so I was like, yes, perfect, perfect, perfect. Thanks,
3: HBO. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, that was, they did that for us. That's Especially because we're going to see exactly. this episode
1: on the, we rented a theater, the Plaza Theater here, so we're going to have 150 of our friends in a theater watching a big battle episode, so it's perfect.
2: <laughs> yeah, it really did work yeah, out yeah. well. <laughs> Which is funny because the last time we watched a big battle episode in a group, it was at Ice and Fire Con for Episode three of season yeah, long eight night so it's night also episode, episode yeah. three, mm-hmm. which was uh. even an, an even bigger battle episode. Probably maybe not as good, but maybe, but even bigger as far as <laughs> the stuff, but uh, fewer dragons, maybe, uh, mm-hmm. maybe not though. We'll see <laughs> two, maybe two, maybe the exact same number of dragons, maybe exactly two again. <laughs> uh, so one other thing we wanted to get your take on, and that since it's such a big part of the season, although it may not come up much this episode, maybe it will, is the whole Back end prophecy stuff. This was such a bomb to drop on us. I thought it was really clever. It was we talked about it with Joe Magician that they not only ignited the show fandom all over again, but they also dropped a bomb on the book fandom with this Aegon's mm-hmm. dream stuff. And that just—it's a we should start back moment where we have to look back at a lot of things, reconsider them. So let me just get your get t- take on what this is, what this means to you, what your initial ideas are, how this. Just your general thoughts on on this, but let me give you one extra question to to mull over as you answer. A couple people pointed this out last time. Viserys, at the same time he's saying a Targaryen must have the Iron Throne, he's also saying we shouldn't have messed with dragons in the first place. That's a little peculiar, isn't it? So does he not think the dragons are part of that, or does he... Maybe start with that and then just give us your general thoughts on this whole scenario. Well, Viserys contradicting himself <laughs> that
3: doesn't that doesn't he would never say two things at the same time and pretend <laughs> pretend they're no i mean i think part of that is the what makes what makes this i think reveal kind of interesting to contemplate is that it it brings up the the cost of you know reckoning with absolute power that i think runs through a lot of the main series and whether what you do to take charge ends up Preventing you from being the kind of person who would then save the day. I think that irony is built into a lot of characters. As a, as a lot of the time, I think with the central characters and the more Targaryen uh, centric storylines, I think George has kind of used the character of Stannis to kind of work a lot of this out as like a like a dry run or a dress rehearsal for stuff that's happening later. Because mm-hmm. one of the reasons I think the Egon's dream thing works well is that we see it worked out with a character like Stannis who has Melisandre induces the visions of uh, the, the White Walkers beyond the Wall mm. and they go north with the, the intention of dealing with that and then, which, and this I think is hilarious, then the White Walkers just refuse to show up. <laughs> like they take, let's look at Stannis and go, yeah, that's not, no, yeah, he's we not weren't waiting work. for you. They yeah. don't care about you. So then Stannis just goes, <laughs> okay, well, I'll go fight those guys. <laughs> and, like, just, he, you know, thrives on the need for an opposition and I think that, that ties into the irony of the Targaryens then if you look back at them with this mm. in mind is that, if you have this this broadly noble intention of uniting Westeros against the Dark, well, what are you willing to do in order to make that happen? And what if you end up destroying a lot of the thing you're trying to save? Like, that's, at least in the broad strokes, what Azor Ahai and Nissa Nissa is about. Yeah. And that plays heavily into Stannis' story. I think it'll probably also play into Danny's story as well. You know, we saw a version of that in the show, which I think is, is rushed and truncated in some ways. But if the broad strokes hold... And I, I like there's a perverse quality to that that ties into what George has talked about with the scouring of the Shire and Lord of the Rings. Mm. Like, you know, if you what if you go off into the dark to save the day and you do the big damn hero self-sacrificial thing and then you, like the next day you go, oh, I still have to be in charge. <sighs> yeah. Now what? Like, that's what happens with Danny and Slaver's Bay, too. They're going to tax that policy. She does exactly and that's the that's the thing i like about both john and danny's storylines in dance and the book of dance which i know a lot of people find boring and i get why but i like the quality where both of them are just like i want the feeling of being a hero again i want to be visceral and awesome and instead they're just like fighting with bowen marsh and his darzo lorak who are just bureaucrats and they're not fun to fight and we're like squabbling over like potatoes and taxes and like that's not satisfying and i think that's also what might be going on broadly with the targaryens is you have this vision, you have this idea of the United Westeros holding back the dark, but in the meantime, you have to govern mm. and that might be harder <laughs> actually yeah. than fighting a demon army. Mm-hmm. I think that might be the idea. And I think that, I think that flows well into the rest of the story. I think there are logistical nitpicks you can point to like, you know, why didn't they do something about the night's watch? People have brought this up. Well, how do you reconcile that with the dragons? We might find more information as we go, but in the broad strokes, I, I think it works. Yeah, I agree. There's no
2: obvious holes. And, and one of the big, things we have to keep in mind is we don't know exactly what Aegon dreamt and he just told people what he dreamt and who knows if he was accurate in his representation or which is very different from the books because you get from the pov i mean from the song of ice and fire proper because you you're in their heads when they have their dream so you can see the dream as they experienced it whereas here it's all third person stuff so there's a lot of room for us to be uh, f- wiggle room for there to be more to it than we think or or less to it than <laughs> we think in some ways true <laughs> so I was like actually no that was just he just drank a lot of wine that night and yeah it was just
1: <laughs> yeah, he had dream that dream boring. but he never told anyone after all yeah
2: he's like eh, I'm not gonna tell anyone <laughs> no, I don't really believe it <laughs> I just wanted
3: it to be an excuse for later yeah <laughs> I got drunk I watched the rain and fire I fell asleep halfway through <laughs> <laughs> this is what my subconscious came up with yeah he, then he wanted to start looking
2: like Matthew McConaughey hey afterwards and, you know. <laughs> who can blame it yeah, I mean, yeah exactly right <laughs> so that's awesome yeah so we're all really looking forward to this episode it should be a lot of fun i think there's gonna be some surprises um it's harder to maybe guess at what they might be this time because uh of the nature of this episode but i believe given the first two we're in for another treat and the dragon action slowly building up i think this will be our first real you know fighting ac- dragons in action since Game of Thrones Season 8. So that's that's exciting. We're looking forward to that. Okay. Any final thoughts, Ashaya or PQ? Anything that we didn't get to that we wanted to say that maybe got left behind?
1: Mm. Just make, thinking about anything. Oh, I, I suppose I would say I, I, one thing just about the the fact that they're going on this hunt, I, I appreciate and like that Rainier is on the hunt, too. Oh, yeah. Like, she's the heir, and it's like, normally, maybe a girl wouldn't go on the hunt with them, but surely she's riding with them, she's in her breeches, she's on the hunting party.
2: That's true. That is a good point, because the in the, in the books as well, That's that also lines up, because in Fire and Blood, it says that Viserys, around this time, starts including her in Councilmore, which presumably means... Not just as cupbearer, because she's technically been in council, but then she got kicked out when she made a suggestion. So that goes to show, you know, that she's not really part of it. But but uh, but if they're following book canon a bit here, then we'll start to see her participating more being actually treated as the heir rather than still just the temporary heir, uh, which if we might see Otto try to, you know, worm his way in between that, try to drive a wedge in there somehow. But yeah. Mm-hmm. any Any thoughts on that, Emmett?
3: Yeah, well, it goes back to what Sam said in the main series that he knew he was being disinherited by Randall when mm. Randall started bringing his little brother in mm. instead to the council meetings. Nice. Mm. good catch. And, and uh, yeah, there was that you, you know very specific frustration Rhaenyra had in the previous episode where it's like, you, you can say I'm the heir, but if you don't include me, if you don't take me seriously in the conversations, then I'm not learning anything, and I'm not going to be ready. It's the same mistake Duran made with Ariane mm-hmm. where he... Good point is like understandable impulse to keep her out of the, out of attention, out of the Lannister's attention. He kind of cut her out of the skills she would need to have developed to be the person she's supposed to be. You could like, see you know, you her, got, you... Her, her rebellion was evidence of that. Well. Yeah, exactly. Like there's a reason that goes so poorly because no one, like Marjorie has clearly been taught to conspire from by Olenna since, you know, day one of her birth. Yeah, so she's good at <laughs> <And> it. Arianne... <laughs> exactly. That's why she's good at it and Arya wasn't getting the education. So of course she thinks Darkstar is a guy you should build a plan. <laughs> (laughs) there's there's no other model to follow because dad is so secretive to a fault and i think yeah i think yeah seeing rainier in the hunt clearly reflects that viserys is at least taking it somewhat more seriously Mm -hmm. like i have to no one's good no you know it's already a, a a hurdle in terms of gender to get these these powerful lords on on board but if we don't act like she's the heir then functionally she won't be and i mean think about to involve her and
1: think about how like much that's part of being the king is taking people out on hunts and you know Mm -hmm. it's like going golfing like you have to have that skill you know so this is totally like she needs to be able to go on a hunt with the the lords of the land and hold her own like this is a skill like you might be like oh this is just random thing but no this is important to her to do
2: you're you're totally right this is the network this is the country club you're totally right and and we were also told this is an era where viserys was just all about feasts and balls and hunts and while his brother is warring the stepstones and all this other stuff is happening Mm -hmm. and the realm is maybe being mismanaged but not in a way that immediately causes problems that the histories would notice i'm sure like a lot of commoners are suffering that's that's pretty much always the case but uh, I really wonder if there's a, maybe another opportunity for Otto in this area because he could be getting the opposite of what he wants. If he's trying to separate them or make the point that Aegon should be the heir, Viserys may, be re- may respond by bringing Rainier more into things to solidify her as heir. And that'd be the opposite of what Otto wants, maybe pushing for something that has the opposite result. That could be yeah. a, a failure on his part, I mean, which would also be... A conflict for rainier because she might see this and be like my dad's only bringing me more into this because otto is pushing his kid you know it's or his grandkid it's not it's it's not because he's not doing it because i deserve it or because it's the right thing to do he's doing it because of someone else which is already why she was appointed heir she's already upset that it's like he didn't really appoint me heir he just spurned damon and i was who was left Mm-hmm. And that's kind of her, where she's at right now. Uh she's expressed that exact thing. So I think there's a way for them to continue with this like, well, I'm only getting this because I'm all he has, not because I'm the one sh- who deserves it. I'm the one he's really backing. So yeah, yeah, we'll see about that. Okay. Uh that's our last question. So Emmett, remind everyone of of how where to find Not a Cast and to hear your lovely voice and your your uh, co-host, Manu, <laughs> Manuclear Bomb, who is a very excellent punster in his own right. If you're a fan of <laughs> our
3: puns, you get more from, from them as well. <laughs> yeah, thanks again for having me on. And yeah, uh, everyone can follow me at Poor Quentin on Twitter and uh, at Cast, ASOIAF. You can find us, like I said, on most major podcasting platforms. And our Patreon is patreon.com slash ASOIAF. next couple episodes will be covering uh john going over the wall and uh jamie's first chapter after losing his hand Mm. and then like i said a lot of great stuff leading up to the red wedding so good time to start listening if you haven't already
2: yes absolutely that is true catch up with them if you haven't or jump in where you left off for storm of swords always been my favorite of the books so there you go cool all right everybody um any last thoughts or are we ready to shut it down
1: Think we're ready to shut it down cool. um yeah yes
2: thanks everyone for coming appreciate the support y'all those of you who uh support us on patreon or through spotify oh. subscriptions and we will keep the fun coming to keep it rolling for house of the dragon we're still just uh, in the early phases. Here's yes, our, here's our cat, Casanova, we on screen. We might
1: not have Sean, but we got a kitty.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he decided to jump in for the outro here. He's got good timing. It's a, mm-hmm. He's a smart cat. <laughs> the executive producer checking in. <laughs> exactly. He says we did a perfect job. Uh-huh. That's right. Yes. <laughs> but we will pause our coverage for now. We will return on Monday for more uh-huh. where that came from. <laughs> Thank you all, everyone, for attending, for watching, for upvoting, for sharing. And let's have more fun as we move forward. Until next time, everyone, both Valar re-read us and Valar re-watch us.
0: If I can stop this.